on today's episode of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. The Erod deal is officially finalized, but the D-backs aren't done yet. Who is reportedly the next target that the D-backs are going after? You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. I've been hosting the podcast since 2020, and now the D-backs face one of the biggest off-seasons in their franchise's history, coming off a World Series. They've already made some fantastic moves like the E-Rod pickup, but they're not done yet. And we'll be talking about the D-backs off-season on today's podcast by talking about lessons learned from the San Diego Padres over the last couple years, stop complaining about Shohei Otani, and of course, who the next target is for the D-backs post Erod deal. But before I get there, I just want to say thank you for making the Locked on Dimebacks podcast your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube. So please hit subscribe to the Locked on Dimebacks channel on YouTube. And for the YouTube audience, if you notice, I got my lighting correct. So there's no more weird shadows when it comes to framing on my YouTube because I like doing the virtual backgrounds now. So if you're on the YouTube channel, there should be no more distractions. The video quality should be super clean and crisp now. So I'm very excited going forward to to continue to play with these uh, virtual backgrounds I like to use here. But for today's podcast, let's jump right into it and let's talk about the Erod deal getting finalized and who the D-backs might be targeting next. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see the spoiler with the rundown for today's show. But for the audio listeners, I'm going to try to make it a little bit you know, more suspenseful for you guys because the Erod deal, the numbers came in and of course, we knew the D-backs were signing him for a four-year, $80 million contract, but we didn't know how the year was going to break down. And this is how Erod's contract is going to break down over the next four years. The first year, $14 million. Second year, 20, Then 21 the third year. Then $19 million in the final year. Then he does have a $17 million mutual option for 2028 with a $6 million buyout. It vests at 150 innings pitch in 2027 or 300 innings over 2026 and 2027. It would vest at $18 million with 175 innings in 27 or 250 innings in 26 and 27. And there's also bonuses and a limited no trade clause. But for the most part, he's going to be making around $20 million a year the last three years of his deal. The mutual option probably won't get picked up. He has incentives to make some more money depending on how many innings he pitches during the season or if he gets some Cy Young votes. But for the most part, around $20 million a year for the last three years. Then the first year of the deal, only $14 million. This is a really good contract, I think, for the D-backs because the back end, I don't think it's crazy. 
Uh, I like how evenly balanced this whole deal is. I think it's a pretty creative contract. I don't think you really have to worry about the options on the back end. I don't mind giving Erod incentives because to me, incentives in a contract, if a player hits those incentives, if a player hits those incentives, that means they're you know, pretty close or probably exceeding the expectations that we had for them when they signed the contract. So for me, I don't mind loading a contract up with incentives because if you hit your incentives, that means you're probably playing above your contract or playing even better than what we thought you could be when we signed you. So don't mind that at all. And what I love most about this contract breakdown is that first year of Erod's deal, he's only getting $14 million that first year. And that is so important because it gives the D-backs so much more flexibility this offseason to go out there and get one more really good at-bat for their lineup. Maybe two at-bats, we'll see. The D-backs are already a tick above their franchise record for payroll, and they're definitely going to break the all-time mold by a bigger margin than what it is now because they are not done spending money. And the D-backs can go out there and still add either a left fielder or a righty power bat that could DH or maybe someone that could do both. And currently, there is someone on the D-backs radar that will fit this mold perfectly that they would like to add to their team. Because if you go check the rumors for today, this guy has been linked to the D-backs today. Jorge Soler, Ken Rosenthal has been reporting that the D-backs and Mariners are both in on Soler. And I got to say, I would absolutely love a Soler to the D-backs. If you're talking about right-handed DHs, J.D. Martinez is my number one option. But Jorge Soler is not too far away from J.D. Now, there is some pros and cons when it comes to a Jorge Soler. He is not a perfect player, but like a, a Eugenio Suarez, high upside, but he's a little bit flawed. There is some concerns with a Soler, but like a Suarez, when those guys are right, when they're hitting their their you know 80th percentile of what their talent is, those guys are all-star level players. We just know they're kind of yo-yo players too, so when they're on that downswing, uh, it could get kind of ugly sometimes. So Solaire, someone this past season with Miami, I mean, just the normal stat line, 853 OPS, 36 home runs. Like that's what you really care about the most if you're the D-backs, just looking from the traditional stat line. A lot of power from the right side of the plate. And overall, the slugging percentage, over 500. Like this is someone that could just add major pop to your team. Someone that could come in, be the DH, because you're gonna have four outfielders who are all who are all lefties. So he could be the DH to balance with all those lefty outfielders. And then occasionally he could also be the corner outfielder, play left field. You probably don't want him doing that a ton. He'll probably play more DH, but the days you want to sit Jake McCarthy or Dominic Fletcher, like Jorge Soler can take over left field and do just a fine job at it. So Soler, from a power standpoint, is going to be uh, a really big addition to the team. That's probably where he would help out the D-backs the most. You look at his like batted ball stats on baseball reference, exit velocity, 91, per, 91 miles an hour last year, hard hit percentage, 48%. You look at his stat cast, like, this is one of the best players in the league at getting the barrel to the ball. This is one of the best players in the league in terms of exit velo and max exit velocity. And he's been that way throughout his entire career. Like He's always been a dude that has absolutely torn the cover off the ball so Solaire coming to a team that has 
not displayed a ton of power the last couple years. Major, major addition to the D-backs if they could pull it off. And he's also coming off a year where he had a career season almost in terms of his strikeout percentage. Like It was the second best of his career in terms of the K percentage, 24.3%. Still a pretty... Still a reasonably high strikeout rate, but I do like the fact that it's trending in the opposite direction. His walk rate's also pretty solid, 11% walk rate. So this is a guy that striking out a little bit less, walking a decent amount, home run percentage above 6% last year. Like There's a lot to like when you're looking at the, the, the stats and the profile from Jorge Soler last season. Uh, he absolutely crushed lefties. Like, of course, the D-backs are pretty much targeting if they're going to add another bat. They really want that guy to be batting from the right side of the plate. They really want to add a righty bat. And Jorge Soler is some that crushed lefties last season with the Marlins. 62 games against lefties, 1080 OPS, 277 average. And he wasn't bad against righties. A 788 OPS against righties with 22 home runs in 133 games. Like, you definitely like that from Soler. Look at his home road splits. Crushed it at home and on the road, which I think is important because you have to look at that for some guys because sometimes a player is just a, a product of their ballpark, right? A team, you know, if you're a righty playing in Boston, your numbers might be juice. If you're a player in Colorado, your numbers might be juice. A lefty in New York, your numbers might be juice. So the fact that Jorge Soler, his numbers travel at home and on the road, really positive sign. First half, second half, Jorge Soler was able to keep up his production throughout the entire season. Another sign that I like, this wasn't a guy who would just hot in the first half and just rode his numbers throughout the rest of the year, or a guy that just heated up in the second half of the season. This is someone that was consistent throughout the entire year. Maybe had one down month, but outside of that, was a consistent power threat month to month, which is so important. Having that consistency from your players, you can't just have your players get hot for a two-month stretch and think you're going to do damage. You need your players for the full course of 162 games from start to finish. You need them to be effective. And Solaire was able to do that last year with the Marlins. And of course, I love a dude who comes through in the clutch. Solaire over an 800 OPS with runners scoring position. And in high leverage moments, a 283 average, a 1048 OPS last season and high leverage moments with the Marlins. So for the D-backs, they're looking for a righty power bat. Jorge, Jorge Soler fits that mold perfectly. He can be a 40 home run guy. He can be an RBI producer. He can put the barrel to the ball. And from a power standpoint, the D-backs desperately could add another guy. They could desperately Use another guy with Lords Guriel still being a free agent because, like we've talked about, all the D-backs have really done from a power standpoint is replace Lords Guriel with Eugenio Suarez. So if you so imagine if there was no Suarez and Lords Guriel was still in the lineup right now, and then you added, you know, from last year's team a Jorge Soler to that mix. Think about how much power last year's D-backs team would have if you just plopped in Jorge Soler as your DH. That's kind of, you know, what the D-backs are doing. This upcoming season with Suarez now, re, you know, replacing that production from Lords Goriel. Then you add a Jorge Soler in the mix as well. Now you got Soler, Suarez, Ketel Marte, Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker. Like you got multiple dudes with 25 plus, 25 to maybe 40 home run potential. Like 
the D-backs, all of a sudden, you add Solaire, you could be one of the five best teams in the National League, one of the ten best teams in Major League Baseball from a home run standpoint, which is not something we've seen from the D-backs in quite some time. So I would absolutely adore Jorge Soler to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now we'll talk about Shohei Otani and why people need to stop complaining about his free agency. But before we get there, if you want to make some money and maybe place a little futures bet of where you think Otani is going to be playing in 2024, then you need to head to FanDuel Sportsbook because as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. If you like the show, follow me on Twitter at careerthomas 24 for my personal account or look up Locked on Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. But now, let's take a break actually from the D-backs because I do want to talk about some lessons learned from the whole San Diego Padres situation over the last couple of years. But I just want to give a quick PSA on the Shohei Otani experience because... I love free agency. I love the offseason. I love talking about player movement as much as I like the on-field product, to be honest. like That's why I love the NBA, because there's so much drama surrounding those players with the rumors of James Harden. Is he quitting on another team? Kyrie always has some kind of fiasco. Is Embiid going to be the next star to ask to be traded? Dame Lillard just asked to be traded last year. Like It feels like player movement and free agency... Is such a big part of the NBA and the discussion surrounding player movement feel very topical. And honestly, it's a lot of fun to talk about player movement in the NBA, player movement in the NFL with all the quarterback situations we've seen over the last couple of years with the Russell Wilson trades and the Deshaun Watson trades. Like, and where are all these uh, big time receivers going to go with Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill? Like, it's a lot of fun when you talk about player movement and free agency. But And the MLB, for some reason, free agency has just sucked the life out of the media covering the sport. I think it's starting to suck the life out of fans, too, because we all want to know where Shohei Otani is going. We are all interested in the sweepstakes. But the way MLB media is covering the Otani free agency, I just hate. And I think it's kind of disgusting, to be honest, because all the media right now is like, Uh, Not all of it, but a lot of the media feels like they're upset with Shohei Otani for having this crazy philosophy that he wants to keep his business private. Like, I don't understand what we're getting upset at Otani about. Is it because he's not talking to the media and not leaking his sources? Is it because he, he has a tight camp? Is he like the new age Kawhi Leonard for baseball where he's like, my camp is tight. If I speak to you, 
If I speak to your team and you leak it, like I'm not signing with your team because that's something Kawhi Leonard did when he was a free agent a few years ago. It was him and his uncle. He they, they went to go meet with teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Raptors, and they had the same rules in place. If you go out there and talk to the media about the meetings we had, we're probably not going to sign with you. Magic Johnson went out there, talked a whole lot about how Kawhi was going to the Lakers. Reporters were talking about how Kawhi is going to the Lakers. And guess what? The Clippers were the quietest team the whole time, and that's the team he signed with. And so Otani is doing the same thing. He wants to see which teams are going to keep their mouth shut or which teams are going to respect his privacy because that's the way that you're going to bring Otani in. He wants to know, if I sign with your team, it's not going to be a circus with the media. I know you're going to have my back when it comes to those situations. And the teams that are just not listening to Otani, you're just doing yourself a disservice. I don't understand why the media is also getting so upset with Otani. Like, LeBron, when he made his decision to go to Miami, we were upset at LeBron for making his decision a whole televised event and making it such a big deal and putting his business out there. Like We were like, oh my God, LeBron, oh Bob, MJ would never do that. He would just sign. First of all, MJ would never leave, yada, yada. So we got upset at LeBron for making his decision and free agency too big of a televised event, right? But then Otani, he's doing the exact opposite. He's like, I don't want to tell anyone anything. No one's going to know nothing until I signed with the team. And we're upset with him about that. How about this, media? How about you stop giving fake reports like you know what Otani's going to do? Like you even know where he is because we got reports all day. Toronto's uh, Otani's going to go to the Blue Jays, right? When I woke up this morning, all Twitter was talking about Otani to the Blue Jays feels imminent, right? We saw the <clears throat> excuse me, we saw those reports from John Morosi. Otani is on a plane to Toronto and how many people doubled down Otani on a plane to Toronto? And then what we found out. What did we find out after that? Oh, Otani's actually not on a plane to Toronto. Otani's actually in his home in California like if you don't know what's going on with Otani, just stop reporting on the situation. Just say there's nothing new to report. Otani's still assessing all his options, and hopefully we'll have a decision over the next few days. Stop saying fake reports where you're like, oh, him going to this team feels imminent. This thing could happen tonight because you just don't know anything. All these unsubstantiated reports that have been easily disproven all you're doing if you're a reporter is hurting your own credibility. And now it's like the Morosi of the world, uh, the Bob Nightingale of the world. Like sometimes it's hard to look at your reports and like take it seriously. Like we have to take it with a grain of salt because it just feels like a lot of misinformation sometimes. And like when anyone, when, whenever anyone comes up to me and they're like, oh my God, did you see this rumor about Otani? Oh my God, did you see that this trade happened or whatever? I'm like, did Jeff Passan tweet it? Did Ken Rosenthal tweet it? Because Jeff Passan is the Adrian Wojnarowski, the Adam Schefter of the MLB. And if I don't hear Jeff Passan say it happened, then I'm honestly just discrediting the whole thing because I just don't think you could trust these MLB reporters right now. They're all going for their own personal scoop on the Otani story instead of letting the truth play. I know with sports journalism, there's a little bit more leeway on what a report is, what an actual news story is, but all these just fake claims about what Otani's thinking that have just gone disproven so easily, I just don't get it. I just don't get the vitriol 
hurtled toward Otani's way either from some of the media, some of these TV personnel, some radio people who are just who are upset with how Otani's handling the situation. We haven't heard from Otani one time this offseason. Like, I haven't seen anything. He probably has spoken, but I've barely seen anything. He's been quiet this whole offseason, and it's like we're upset at someone for being quiet and just minding their business and keeping it private. Like, I just don't understand what we're getting upset at Otani about. We get upset at all these stars in the NBA and NFL for wanting out and saying that they want to go to a different team and being too vocal at times, right? Otani, he's actually a quiet guy. He's actually a dude that just goes out there, plays with a lot of joy, plays with a smile on his face, super competitor as well. And then when he hits the offseason, and he's like, you know what? I actually want to be quiet. My game is loud, but off the field, I'm a quiet guy, and we're going to be upset at him for not wanting to be more vocal during free agency of where he's going to spend, arguably, potentially, the rest of his career. Like, that's a big decision. People just want him to rush into that and just spill the beans to every reporter that asks. I just don't understand the logic there. I'm with Otani, and hopefully the mystery team on Otani is the D-backs because I haven't heard them say anything about the Otani situation. So hopefully that means D-backs and Otani are locked in for a marriage in the near future. Now we're talking about lessons learned from the San Diego Padres with how they built their team over the last couple seasons. But first, did you know Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube? Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Let's talk about the San Diego Padres for a little bit and how it pertains to the D-backs because I think the Padres are a good case study of what to do and what not to do when building a roster because I like the philosophy and approach that A.J. Prello had when he was building this roster of getting aggressive and adding stars to your team. I absolutely Love the philosophy of let me go out there and add as much talent as possible because if you told me the D-backs were going to add multiple MVP candidates, I mean, Corbin Carroll's like our Fernando Tatis Jr. already, but like if you told me to to supplement uh, a Corbin Carroll, we signed like a Manny Machado and a Xander Bogarts and maybe Ketel Marte still our Jay Cronenworth, so now we got this insane lineup and we trade for Juan Soto. So if you're telling me I'm a D-backs fan and we go out there and acquire three star to superstar type players and Bogarts, Machado, and Juan Soto to supplement my Ketel Marte and my Corbin Carroll. Like, how can I not be ecstatic if I was a D-backs fan and then my rotation, if I already had, you know, Zach Gown or whatever, and I was still able to go out there and acquire Blake Snell and a Hugh Darvish and a Joe Musgrove? Like, the Padres, they went out there in the last couple of off seasons 
all they've done is just add and stack talent to their roster, add the Blake Snells and the Musgroves and the Darvishes and the Sotos and the Machados and the Bogarts, and they added star after star after star after star. And it did work for a little bit because they did get to the Final Four, not this past season, but in 2022, they were able to get there. And even in 2020, uh, they were able to you know, have a nice little run. But you can say uh, it feels like the experiment has maybe not worked out for the Padres. We'll see how they bounce back in 2024, but it feels like we might see a philosophy flip coming or maybe they start cleaning house just a little bit for the Padres to help out their payroll uh, going forward. So we might see them unloading some stars, but I like the approach that the Padres took when it came to adding as much talent and star power as possible to your roster. I think that's smart. I think adding Elite players is always a smart move. I just think the way they handed out salaries and money was where the Padres went wrong. I think that's the lesson that the D-backs can learn from the San Diego Padres team. I think they should learn you need to add stars to supplement the talent that you grew internally. The D-backs should go out there and spend money like they did with Erod. Go out there and acquire players like Suarez. Go out there and get another player like Soler or J.D. Martinez to supplement the talent that you already have on the roster. That's a philosophy that you could take from the Padres. It's never a bad decision to add as much talent as possible to your team. I think the lesson that the D-backs need to learn and watch out for that the Padres did was... The, the, the way that they divvied out that money to certain dudes, I think the allocation of how they spent their resources was wrong. And I think even in the moment, you knew it was wrong. When you saw you Darvish get that extension when he is already on the wrong side of 35, and then they give him an extension that will pay him until he's, I'm trying to look it up real quick, until he's 41 years old, he's going to get like 15 to 16 from... 39 to 40 to 41 like I don't understand why they gave you Darvish that extension when he was already old and already starting to show uh, already starting to show signs of a decline like in 2021 he was an all-star but in the second half he came down a little bit 4-2-2 year ray big year in 2022 with a 3-1 year ray 194 innings pitch but you're still like he's 35 years old however much he has left on his deal like that should just be the window your championship window with a you darvish but then if you don't win it with you darvish you just let him go and you try to add someone else to supplement the production they would have lost that you would have lost from a darvish but instead the padres they said you know what let's just give him more money let's just make sure he's locked up for the next six seven years and in the moment, I think we all knew that wasn't a smart move because anytime you give a pitcher a long-term deal past the age of 30, it typically doesn't work out. They were like, let's give a pitcher a long-term deal past the age of 35 that will pay him until the age of 41, still a pretty substantial salary. Like in the moment, I think we knew the U Darvish deal was going to be a bad deal. And then like the Xander Bogarts deal, I like Xander Bogarts a lot. I think he's a really, really good shortstop. I think he's an underrated player in baseball. But is he a 10-year, $30 million a year player? Uh, no, he isn't. I don't think he's getting $30 million a year. But he's making like $25 million a year over the next like decade, right? Like Bogarts probably shouldn't get that much money. And it's not just the fact that you gave Bogarts a super long, super, super lucrative deal where in the first year, 
you're already starting to feel the effects of that, and it only makes you more nervous and scared for the back half of the contract. Same with Manny Machado getting that whatever massive extension he got before the last offseason too, right? Like, the Padres, all they did was give out massive extension after massive extension, and I think that's okay, like, when you gave it to the Manny Machados of the world, but I think when you start giving out contract extensions to players who are not on Machado's level, like a Xander Bogart, or players who are just older, like a Yu Darvish, I think that's where the Padres made a mistake, and it wasn't even the fact that they gave those players those deals, it's also the fact that they gave those players those deals, and then also traded everything for Juan Soto and then didn't have the money to pay him because you gave so much more money to a Yu Darvish and you gave Xander Bogarts that lucrative deal. And now you have to trade away arguably the best player or the second best player on your entire team because you don't have the money to pay him any longer because you spent it on other dudes who are just not as good. Like, to be honest, if you did a trade machine right now where it's Juan Soto for... Bogarts and you Darvish straight up, I think you would just take the side that has Juan Soto. And so for the D-backs, that's the lesson that they have to learn. You are allowed to spend money. I want you to go out there and spend money in free agency, add as much talent to the team as possible, but you have to be smart to where you allocate that money and you have to know who deserves it and who doesn't. I'm not saying Bogarts or you Darvish wasn't deserving of money, but for the amount of years and like the annual salary, like for Darvish, he shouldn't have gotten an extension until the age of 41. I don't mind the annual salary salary for Bogarts, but for a 10-year deal or however long it is, like I don't like I, I just don't like that. And the fact that you basically chose Bogarts over Juan Soto after trading your whole farm system for Juan Soto, I just think that decision making just doesn't make any sense. And so for the D-backs. You just have to be smart with how you allocate your resources. I think they've been smart so far. I think Suarez was a nice upside flyer. Erod, I think the money he's making, not insane, not outrageous. Yes, he has a pretty reasonable price tag, but on a four-year deal, I would definitely take that. And he's a pretty good pitcher, nice upside mid-rotation starter. You're probably going to go out there. Let's say you sign Solaire. That'll probably be for 13 to 15 over a two, three-year period. So, those are the kind of deals I like for the D-backs. Don't get into the habit of signing these 10-year deals to free agents. That's where you get into a little bit of trouble. I like that kind of signing when you do it to a Corbin Carroll before they really pop, before these 32-year-old free agents. Unless your name is Yamamoto, it's probably not a smart decision to sign you to eight-plus years. And for the D-backs... Once you know who's locked into your team that you want to build around going forward, make sure it's those guys that you pay. If you're the Padres and you thought Juan Soto was going to be a building block for you going forward, then why didn't you pay him? Why did you decide to choose the other guys? The D-backs, they know they want Corbin Carroll. They know they want Quetzal Marte. They want Gallon. Like They're going to lock up everyone that they want to keep long-term, which I think is the smart decision. Don't just start handing out money willy-nilly. I think that's the issue that the Padres got into. They just forgot that... You actually, once you sign a contract, you actually have to pay those players. I think they forgot. Uh, I think AJ Preller forgot that <laughs> because it's not his money. I think he forgot that someone actually has to pay those players. He just thought it was like fantasy monopoly money. And that's not the case. And the owner was like, oh, actually, I don't have as much money as you think, AJ Preller. And we got to go out there and probably take out some loans. And so if I'm the D backs, 
Look at the Padres. Take the philosophy of adding stars to your team is always smart, but make sure you use your resources to make sure you use your resources properly, allocate your funds properly, and don't overspend on any one free agent. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Doses.